There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you'll only look Then you will see On WCN-TV Friends, Pastor Mike with you again today here on WCN TV. Thank you for joining me. You're going to want to contact. I know some of you out there have a friend or maybe even a family member that are struggling with some form of addiction. Today, we welcome Michael Hale to the program, Pursued God's Relentless Pursuit and a Drug Addict's Journey to Finding Purpose. Well, you have a couple seconds before we jump into this conversation. Text your friends, whatever it takes, and get them on WCNTV.net so they can be encouraged by what we're going to talk about today. Now, it is no no surprise to those that uh, that watch WCNTV with any regularity that the United States, in fact, is drowning in a sea of fentanyl. Now, here in the United States or, or in my neck or area of the woods, which is Ohio, heroin is the drug of choice among those that are in the bondage of addiction and and seems to be statistically taking the most lives here in, in uh, Northwest Ohio. Older adults seem to be addicted to alcohol and prescription drugs at uh, never before seen rates. Now the pandemic, I've got a different word for it. The pandemic didn't help as alcohol sales skyrocketed. People with time on their hands trying to drown out their fears. Drug abuse in middle school even is up approximately 61% in the last five-year period. 61% in middle school, friends. Nearly two out of three high school students abuse drugs specifically alcohol, because it's the easiest to get. The cross-border influx of illegal and often deadly drugs doesn't seem to be taken seriously, even as more young people are dying from overdoses than from firearms, an inconvenient truth ignored by the mainstream media. In his book, Michael Hale, titled Pursued, tells his story, how he got involved in drugs and, and what it took to turn his life around. Not everyone 
is so fortunate. That's for sure. Hale says in his book, I had to live in lavish indulgence of my sin for years before I was able to realize that it couldn't ever fully satisfy. He decided to exchange the vices for freedom and found God. What a wonderful story and a testimony to God's goodness and perseverance and grace. Michael, thank you for joining us here today on WCNPV. Mike, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, you're very welcome. So your bio talks about traveling around all over the world now, and you've spoken, shared your testimony and story in, in 35 countries, probably more than that now, but that's that's quite a bit. I was blessed when God saved me from addiction. He launched me into world missions, and I got to work with Operation Mobilization and YWAM, Youth for the Mission, and it was just so satisfying to to go from this empty life where you're you're it's never enough to this life of serving others and uh really experiencing why we exist yeah yeah so drug abuse um especially among youth today uh, it it should be a a bigger concern it should draw more attention than it does but unfortunately we're living in in times where there seems to be an agenda in america right now that's driving other interests but we should be concerned about about drug abuse among young people um what's happening in your view what's happening in your view and why are drugs beyond the open borders that we seem to have to the South so easy to come by today? That's very well phrased. All the statistics that you read, they sound the alarms, and yet we don't see any of it on the news. We see um, all sorts of other issues when in reality, this one is is taking the most lives. Uh, more people die from drugs than from all cancers combined. And yet, you're right, we, we ignore it. And in my book, I, I really put forward the point that it's related. A lot of the drug abuse is related to our worldview. We're raised to believe that there is no God. Even those of us who go to church, we're educated in school to believe that we came from monkeys and to believe that religion is foolish, that it doesn't line up with logic. And we know that it does. We know that God's word is scientific, it's archaeological, it's historic, it's it's reliable, it's beautiful, it's our instruction manual, it's everything we need. It shows us why we were made, why we malfunction, and yet we're taught to doubt it at every outset, and it's instilled in us uh, to, to reject God. And the alternative worldview is really a worldview of hopelessness. It's that we came from a cosmic bomb, our life, our origin is a cosmic mishap. We're not supposed to be here. It's all just an accident. And when we die, we turn to dirt and lose everything we've ever worked for. And so if our beginning and end are meaningless, then what? It, it's delusional to say that the middle is meaningful. And, and that's the worldview we're taught. And so really the, the only logical thing to do is eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. And that's what a lot of people are doing. They don't see any greater purpose. They don't see any reason to be moral because being moral is hard. It takes grit. It takes 
it, it you know it, to be to make a difference in this world takes a lot of intentionality and it it it's so much easier just to numb yourself give yourself pleasure through substances and just numb that hopeless worldview yeah and i was when i read that in your book michael i was i was cheering when i read it because i thought finally uh, somebody's making making an accurate correct spot on observation and not that others haven't but this was was laser focused because you're absolutely right um our children i'm going to use a word that um has a particular association and connotation our children from the time they enter into the public school systems are groomed to deny that god exists they are purposely trained and and educated to be atheists now that has that has a natural result and you described it 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 launches them into a life of hopelessness and if there's no purpose or meaning in life as you well stated then we should all just eat drink and be merry because tomorrow we die and whatever that looks like for people that's what they're going to pursue so you're absolutely right and really i think it's a fair statement to say that kind of described your life you approached to drugs and you thought well why not if it's going to bring me happiness and all these other things then why shouldn't i pursue that is that that a fair statement for you absolutely yes i think that the world view uh it it took me a long time to realize that that was the the main contributor i think when i was in the drugs that the main reason I kept doing them was just because it felt good and it was easy. And, and I didn't see the long-term consequences. All I saw was the short-term reward. I had no clue how much it would cost me, how it would haunt me and plague me for decades, how difficult it would become to unravel my life from those things. I had no clue. All I saw was this feels good. People think it's cool. And if I do this, then people will like me. So very, very short-sighted. Yeah, and those are just uh, a handful of the reasons that, that people actually turn to ju- uh, drugs. Some of it is peer pressure when when they're in school. Other people are doing it. And I know uh, as you're recounting your story in your book and those who have just joined us, we are speaking with author Michael Hale. The book is Pursued, God's Relentless Pursuit and a drug addict's journey to finding purpose. You you described that was part of uh, part of the avenue to you. You were kind of pressured into that. Everybody else was doing it around you. You you stayed strong for a little bit though. You you refused and said no, that's not. But finally, you gave in, and that started a a downward spiral, didn't it? It sure did. Yeah, yeah. So. You also say in the book, here's a, here's a quote, hardships can create change for better or for worse. Hardships can create change for better or for worse. What do you mean by that exactly? In certain instances, you see people, you see two different people go through something similar. They lose a loved one. They go through a divorce. They 
to have something tragic, traumatic, heartbreaking, life-altering happen to them, and yet you can see that some people come out of that full of empathy, full of kindness, full of compassion, and they actually grow stronger through those hardships, that they unlock something in their heart and it changes them for the better. And you can see some people go through littler things, things that are objectively not as big of a deal, and yet they become cynical and their hearts become hard and they have a very difficult time appreciating anything. And both those responses, um, they're human. But the, the reality is that God tells us, he teaches us, count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And when he says that scripture, he says, count it. And when you count something, I think of accounting and you're taking in all, you're taking everything into consideration. So instead of just saying, this was so hard, you're looking from beginning to end at all all of the different components. And when you factor in God, the fact that there's a living God who loves you and he's working things together for good. And when you can see that he cares about you and that he's helping you through this and that he wants to actually build your character through those trials, then you can find so much hope through the hardships. Yes. Amen. Amen. Your drug addiction, you tell a story about a serious injury. And, and when I say serious, I mean, serious life threatening. In fact, uh, you were entertaining thoughts that you weren't going to make it. Um, do we push ourselves into unrealistic behavior, dangerous behavior sometimes, um, due to our addiction, whether it's drugs, alcohol, whatever the case might be. Um, we sometimes think we're superhuman and we can do things that we really shouldn't be pressing the envelope for. And, and was that the case with you, Michael? I think for me, I I was probably an adrenaline junkie. So not only addicted to substances, but also addicted to adrenaline, anything that could make dopamine, dopamine dump in my brain. That's what I craved. And even even though certain things were harming me, I still just wanted to have them. And once you kind of unleash that, in a lot of ways, it's just our flesh. The more you, you feed it, the more you, you follow it, the more unruly it becomes. And just like First Peter says, he says, if these passions rule, if these passions rule over you, if you follow them, then you're enslaved to them. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes we do things thinking that it's it's fun, not realizing that it's going to enslave us and and how difficult that's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I found refreshing in your book, Michael, was that uh looking back on your life on on your addiction and and uh drug use um you didn't blame your parents. You didn't. You didn't blame your friends. You didn't point fingers at at anybody else. Um, you just owned up to it and said, "No, hey, listen, I made this choice. I did this." And uh, is that 
Is that one of the first steps to maybe being delivered from those addictions is to own up to your own responsibility and not trying to pass it off to somebody else? Absolutely. As long as we, as long as we keep putting the blame on other people, then we'll, we'll never heal. And I, for a long time, I put the blame on the police because I, I thought that they were ruining my life. And in reality, they probably saved my life. Um, I put the blame on the government, on the counseling, on all the fines, because they made me they made me pay so much. I wanted to get back at them and outsmart the system. And I just kept putting the blame on other people and other things. And as long as that was the case, you're right. I couldn't acknowledge my my fault in it, my role in it. But I also couldn't. You can't, uh, you can't heal until you acknowledge that there's something wrong with you and that there's something you can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. So very true. Uh, one of the things that I liked and, and folks that have joined us today, uh, Michael's website is Michael J. Hale, and that's H-E-I-L, MichaelJHale.com. Um, producer, if you would click on the tab there, addiction resources, addiction resources, I want you to see this, folks. Michael has um, provided a place where you can can go and get some free resources. And if as you scroll down there, uh, producer, you see some some artwork there that I think is is very good. Michael and is is uh Denise the missus yep that's okay. my wife I, I thought maybe that was the case yeah she's very talented so she is. she's so, amazing so first of all um it's good to see that you're offering assistance uh, for people um that can just jump on the website get some information and and uh, resources that might help them come to a decision that, listen, I need to change my life. Um, and the thing, of course, that I appreciate about it is that it's Christ-centered, Christ-based. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you would just uh, describe, just walk us through the, the three uh, pictures at the bottom there that illustrate um, the hedonic, uh, hedonic happiness and I'm not even sure I can pronounce that. Eudaimonic happiness. Eudaimonic happiness. And of course, Christian happiness. So what are each of those three things? And I think after you get done describing eudaimonic happiness, then we'll understand the difference between that and Christian <laughs> happiness. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Thank you, first of all, for, for looking at all of this. That's an that's a huge honor just that you would take the time to look at this. And my prayer truly is that this would help people sort things out in their mind because it's such a deep battle. Uh, but this one chart specifically, so hedonic happiness is the idea that feelings are God. So the ultimate purpose in life is making yourself feel good. And our materialistic culture pumps that, consumerism pumps that, Mm -hmm. There's a lot around us that tells us, okay, 
if you make yourself feel good, then your life is good. Now, we all know that's not true, um, but there's a lot of people that base their well-being on that idea that mm-hmm. if I can give myself phys- physical pleasure, I'll be okay. So the whole life is based on physical pleasure, just getting that next dopamine dump. And what that creates neurologically is dependency. You mm-hmm. become addicted. You need more and more and more just to function. At some point, you want drugs. You start out just oh, this feels nice, but the more you have them, the more you need them. And at some point you can't function without them. Your tolerance goes up, so you need more and more. Your dependency goes up. And it's really a cycle that can happen with uh, sex, with um, drugs, with alcohol, with, it can even happen with, with positive things like exercise. Although I would take that any day, I actually exchanged the, the the negative ones for the for the exercise uh, for a healthy dopamine dump but yeah. still I, I grew I, I I had to grow an awareness that this isn't the good life giving myself pleasure uh, it's not a reliable thing to base my well being on it's a very unstable foundation mm-hmm. yeah abs- absolutely true and I I just I um, Jr you had uh, posted a question actually is just uh, with gang. So please explain yourself uh, in relation to what Michael is talking about there. I'd like to hear feelings, finding a comfort place for feelings, a place where you belong. Ah, okay. Yep. So his, his comment, uh, Michael Jr's comment was uh, with gangs. So they do feel like there's a place that they belong, they pursue these things because it makes them a tighter knit community. I think that's what uh, Jr. is trying to say. So that that is is obviously like like you said, that can work for for bad or good. Um, but in this particular case, what you're talking about is those things that that get us uh, in bondage to pursuing things that we think are making us happy. And human nature is as it is. And a lot of times in most, most cases, those aren't, those aren't good pursuits or behaviors. So. And Jr. actually with gangs, that would be eudaimonic happiness. That's a perfect example of eudaimonic happiness because eudaimonic happiness is when you're basing your well being on living into a certain purpose. Mm-hmm. So Gangs give you a purpose. You have someone to fight for, someone to fight with. Now, the body of Christ is is that as well. If we plug in, of course, it's very difficult. It takes intentionality to plug into anything. Uh, But living into a purpose is what eudaimonic happiness. And there are different studies around the world, like in Greenland, where they found that helping kids come up with a purpose for their life. So whether that's a career or uh, a volunteer job where they get to help other people, that that helped a lot with addiction. So eudaimonic happiness is finding a greater purpose to live into. Now, there's no greater purpose than the kingdom of God and bringing it forth on earth um, than being a part of, 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 of our church, but also being called and known and loved by God personally. There's a lot of places we could go for that eudaimonic purpose and the reason it's a it's a circle too is because 
sometimes our pursuits don't always go well or how we envision or how we hope. And so we base our lives on this. We, we, we can base our lives on, on being a good husband or a good mother and what happens when uh, we fall short or what happens when, um, a, heaven forbid, a child passes away and we lose that part of our identity then our, our whole foundation, all of our well-being crumbles. And that's why, of course, Christian happiness, it's based on God, who is the hope that's unshakable, who, the hope that never fails, that carries us through everything. And I know that's ethereal right now, but I hope the Christian happiness image kind of helps pull, pull us there. So Christian happiness is based on belief. So we believe that God made us, that God wants us, and that God loves us. And that's the exact opposite of that worldly belief that says we're here for, there's no reason for our lives. It's all a cosmic mishap. So the Christian belief says, no, I'm here because God wants me here. And then the next step is God has a purpose for our lives. And our well-being is not based on performance which eudaimonic happiness can often lead to, right? Performing, how well am I accomplishing my goals? How how much have I lived into my purpose? Um, and it's also not based on feelings. So well-being, Christian well-being shouldn't be based on how we feel, right? Because there's days where we feel awful. There's days where we face hardship. There's days where we mess up and we need a lot of grace and mercy and forgiveness. We need God's all-powerful limitless love to just wash over us and and cleanse us and heal us so christian well-being isn't based on performance it's based on jesus performance it's not based on ours it's not based on feelings how we feel in a certain day it's based on on god's love and purpose for our lives and so the end result is through painful emotions and difficult times we still have purpose yeah yeah amen i wish more people more christians would understand that that uh our well-being whether it's it's physical or emotional uh, is not based on our performance it just isn't our identity is in christ our our focus is on his grace and his mercy and his love and i know some people kind of and I don't understand it, but some people burr up with, oh, yeah, God is love. Yeah, yeah, I understand God's good. Yeah. No, seriously. Mm-hmm. We would all be dumpster fires if not for God's grace mm-hmm. moment by moment. And mm-hmm. Kathy and my wife, Kathy, and I were talking about this uh, last night. We use a particular devotional in the evening. And and one of the statements that the author made in, in that devotional was that God's grace is sufficient to protect us even from ourselves. And I thought that was a great statement because you know what? Sometimes that saying is true. We are our own worst enemies sometimes, but God's grace is sufficient even then. So I appreciate that. One other thing I want to touch on, Michael, on your uh, website, producer, if, if you would go to the workshops tab, the workshops tab. And um, I just wanted you to, to talk about these workshops a little bit. 
uh, Michael, and and wanted people to see uh, what kind of resources are available from your ministry as far as uh, working with people one-on-one or groups. Um, I, I imagine, I'll just ask the question, uh, these things could be conducted uh, at a local church or, or um, uh, center where Christians could come together and partake of it in, uh, in numbers. Is that the case? Yes. Yeah. Usually um, I would say a school for troubled youth or a um, like a detention center, but 100% in, in the local church. Um, I'm also, my biggest hope is to, to get it all online. So I'm building a a companion guide because the research has shown the number one thing that helps people with addiction is, or with resiliency is building a relationship, a deep vulnerable relationship with someone who's sober and who loves about them. So opening up. And so the companion guide is designed to do that, so to, to help both parties, whether it's a parent and a child or a sponsor and a sponsoree, to help them build that relationship. Because the reality is their family is going to be there for them all the time, whereas a course is a one-time event. And we want those deep, dynamic, life-changing relationships to be built and to be an ongoing thing. So there's some some video resources that uh, are just being finished and those will be online. And then there's uh, also the opportunity to do these other things online as well. Okay. And uh, if, if you are, you joined us for this conversation, again, I'm talking to author Michael Hale. The book is Pursued, God's Relentless Pursuit and a Drug Addict's Journey to Finding Purpose uh, there is also a tab on the website there for scheduling an event. If you're interested in, in hosting an event, um, then you can go to that tab and uh, fill out your information. Uh, I think it's great, Michael, that you're going to detention centers. That's absolutely fantastic. Um, those those young people that are in these centers are there for a reason, and it's usually because they're their lives have uh, somehow managed to uh, leave the rails, so to speak. And uh, your experience and, and testimony, I imagine, has a has a huge impact. Um, let's let's transition then to. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on on the fentanyl epidemic that we're seeing in our nation right now. What's what's behind it, in your opinion, and what should we be doing? Um, as concerned believers to to try and stop the destruction of our youth? That's a wonderful question. And I really, truly believe that prayer is the most important thing that we could do, especially for those that we know who are, who are suffering from an addiction, but also to be vulnerable, to, to talk with them, uh, to not, Sometimes we as Christians can be so unrelatable uh, because we we strive for perfection. And out there, there's so much brokenness. Um, it's hard to be vulnerable with someone who seems like they have it all together. And, and so 
there's this extreme importance of, of being vulnerable, but also being present and showing people that we love them, that we care about them, that we're there for them. Now, we can't do that for everyone. We can only do that for a limited number of people. Maybe there's one person in our life. Maybe God is bringing one person to mind right now. Maybe they're a family member. Maybe they're a friend. But there's someone we can be there for. And I know if you're anywhere near as busy as me, this fast-paced life pulls us away from that. It pulls us away from deep relationships and meaningful relationships. And, And so we need to pray for an opportunity. We need to pray for a game plan, for intentionality, even just giving them a copy of, of the book and reading and, and doing the companion guide with them. If you don't know where to start, that's a good place because a lot of these topics are really hard to talk about and they're really deep and um, they're, they can be embarrassing or scary to bring up. But prayer, intentionality, and... Um, and just loving those whom God has put in our life, being faithful to love them. Yes, and you mentioned the companion guide. That's available uh, for free. It's uh, um, on your website. It's the last tab, companion guide. And when you click on that, then um, that information is there. So especially uh, youth, youth in the church, um, one of the things that, has stood out to me in in 25 years of pastoral ministry, but 40 years of being a believer, um, is that too many parents, adults uh, in church, um, they get to a place where, well, that could never happen to our youth. They could never get caught up in that. So really, we don't need to address that or or to discuss that with them or to sit them down and do a series of studies on this topic. Cause these are good kids. They've been brought up in the church. That is an absolute lie. First of all, because what you're going to find out statistically speaking is that a good number of youth, even in the church are experimenting with drugs and mm-hmm. it would be much better now to have those conversations before before that addiction or bondage really gets its hooks in them. Uh, Imagine how shocking it is when news breaks that so-and-so was arrested or, or has used whatever the case might be. We shouldn't be shocked. We should be speaking with the youth and, and discussing these things openly and, and reinforcing uh, the fact that, listen, You've got a friend in your parents. You've got a friend in the pastor. You've got a friend in the youth leader, whatever the case might be, to talk through these things. If you've got concerns or, or maybe you've experimented, but you, you, you don't want to do that and you're getting pressured by peers, reach out and talk to somebody. Michael, your thoughts? 100% correct. I, I agree with you on everything. I was doing drugs while going to church. My parents dragged me to church. And um, most people, just because I was so good at covering it up, most people wouldn't wouldn't have even guessed. And my entire life was was ruled by drugs. I could not function a single day, a single moment without them. Is how how hijacked my life was, and yet people didn't really know. And it, sometimes we forget how prevalent this is. 
Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, Mike, two out of three students, kids ha- are experimenting with drugs right now. Now, certainly that statistic includes the church. And often a lot of these statistics, uh, our numbers don't differ from the world. And so we have to talk about this. If we don't, then their friends are going to. That's what happened to me. My parents didn't talk with me about these things. And so all I got was firsthand information with the world on how it thinks about these things, on it, on what it tells me to do and think. And it's telling me to, to glorify sex and, and pleasure and hedonism, just like that mm-hmm. chart show. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, getting back to your earlier statement, just to reinforce what what you just said, Michael, is it is it is imperative that the church is teaching a proper biblical worldview, a Christian theistic worldview. There's a beginning and there is an end. And the purpose in life is history, his story. And in that we find our hope. What we have to combat what young people are are not just being indoctrinated with in our government schools, but we've got to combat what they're hearing from their peers and on the media. Because listen, this this youth culture today, if they are anything, they are media savvy and they know where to go to get the news they're interested in, um, what everybody is talking about, and and we don't want to underestimate the importance of that, that our young people want to be up to date or up to speed or in the know on all of those topics that young people are concerned about today. And you better believe, and I'm preaching to the choir, to to you, Michael, in this audience, but you better believe that drugs and all of these things we've touched on today are being glamorized, are being celebrated, and they're being they're being presented as if this will give you happiness. True or false? 100% true. Yeah. So we have, we have got to get in the game, folks, as, as the saying goes. So at what point, and you're like, it's in the book, folks. <laughs> I encourage you to get the book, <laughs> Pursued, God's Relentless Pursuit and a Drug Addict's Journey to Finding Purpose. But at what point in your life did you realize that you needed God's help to turn your life around, that you just weren't up to the task? There are too many miracles and instances to explain, but God just hammered me. I mean, God just pursued me and pursued me and pursued me. And when he should have given up on me, he continued to pursue me. And I had multiple arrests. I mean, I had a V squad of cop cars chasing me down Center Street. I got locked up. I I became completely hopeless. I I slipped my wrists. I I I lost all hope of a future. I was convinced I'd thrown everything away. I I kept getting arrested. I couldn't stop getting arrested. God bailed me out of jail. Um, I can't even explain God's kindness to me, but there there were several very concrete moments where I realized I couldn't deny him anymore. 
there's this verse in Romans 5, 8 that says, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. And that verse, I mean, he loved me when I was overdosing on, on ketamine and heroin and alcohol and seizing up. He loved me. He loved that version of me that I despise, that version of me that I, I hate, that I'm ashamed of. He even loved that person. And I often think, you know, how how much must he love me now? And of course, that question is irrelevant because it says that his love has no heights or depths or widths or lengths that can't be measured. And God is outside of time. So he's not looking at me and saying, man, when's this loser going to get his act together? God's already paid for all of it. And um, and his love, it's so um, it's it's so life changing it's 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 so incomprehensible but it's it's the only stable thing we can build our lives on it's it, no girlfriend no no family no goal no degree no no amount of money or pleasure none of it is is a stable foundation it's just just god and his love for us amen amen since so since you've been uh, delivered from that substance abuse, uh, you write that every day now you pray something to the Lord when you wake up. What What is that? Help me, God. I need you. I can't function without you. I need you mm-hmm. more than I need breath itself. I need you, Jesus. I, I, yeah, I cannot survive this day without you. I need you to be at the center of it. I need you to carry me through it. I need you, God. Yeah, that's a, that's a great prayer. Kathy and I always pray uh, in the morning, in our morning devotionals. It's thank you for the gift of life today. And may we live it for your honor and glory. Whatever comes our way, Lord, help us to navigate it in such a way that you are honored and receive glory. Because, man. I'm so busy, you know, uh, I'll, I'll just give this quick personal anecdote. Um, I thought after I retired from from my work that that enabled me to pastor all these years, um, that I'd have a little bit more free time. And the truth of the matter is, I, I don't. I have less when I was working 50 hours a week, which is just crazy to think of. But I'm reminded of Martin Luther, who said, I have a very busy day ahead of me. I think I have to start it with three hours of prayer. So prayer really is important, folks. Begin your day that way. Honor God. Thank him for the gift of life. Each day is a gift from his hand. And ask him, what do you have for me today, Lord? And whatever it is, I know that you're going to, to make provision for me to do whatever it is to bring you glory and honor. So I think that's a great great way to start your day. Help me, God, because I can't do it alone. If you're, if you're not with me, I'm not going to be able to make it. So as we're wrapping up our, our time together, Michael, I wonder what advice you would give to parents who have a child addicted to drugs or, or alcohol. Um, what would you say to them? I would say when it gets hard, remember how much God has loved you through. So how he's never given up on you 
every time you've messed up or fallen short, how he's been there and let his love be the fuel that, that, because you can't, you, you can only give so much. And if they're an addict, then you've given everything. You don't have any more to give, but God does. And God gave his life. God gave up everything to love you into wholeness and to reconcile you, but also to do that for your child. And so God is willing to give everything. And if you let his love fill the reservoir of your heart, because you must be drained and you must be hurting. And if you're like my mom, you're staying up all night long and you're praying and you're praying for your prodigal child and you don't know where they are or if they're okay or if they've overdosed. But keep praying and keep reaching out to God because he sees you and he's with you in this. You're not alone in this. God's with you in this and and he'll carry he'll carry you through this he understands no one else does but he gets it and he can break through he can do what you can't do what i can't do he can break through he knows what they need so pray pray just pray with him pray with him for for that and do what you can and talk to him and and read with them and invest time in them uh, even if it seems like you're pouring fertilizer on a rock, just keep, just keep, keep on doing it. Because God can break open that heart of stone, and 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 all that all that stuff you poured in can just hit home at some point. You never know when. Amen. Amen. Michael J. Hale is the author of Pursued: God's Relentless Pursuit in a in a Drug Addict's Journey to Finding. Purpose. The book is available on Michael's website. Thank you, producer Michael J. Hale, H E I L Hale, Michael J. Hale.com. Also, some free resources, some addiction recovery resources. Michael is available to, to come and speak uh, at an event for you, for your ecclesia, for a school system, for a local detention center. Uh, and I know some of you out there have joined us today probably know someone who works at that detention center or even has oversight of it. So consider bringing Michael in to talk to the youth there. And uh, I believe when you do, you're going to see a, a positive outcome for that. Michael, I appreciate you joining me today here on WCN TV. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. You're very welcome. Friends, that's all we have today for this episode of WCN-TV. Please share this with uh, your friends and on your platforms. And until next time, God bless you. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.